Hello everyone. Um, our Bible reading is from Psalm 73. Um, so hear the words of the Lord. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps are nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. The bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul is embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I continually with you. You hold me, you hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell you of all your good works. Good morning, everyone. What a great privilege it is to come and open God's Word for us uh, this morning. My name is Sean. Uh, as introduced, I, I go to church in Bull Creek, and I've known Jared for a while so it's, since doing apprenticeship. So it's uh, been a while since. But what a privilege it is to come and share and open God's Word with you. As I'm working in Bull Creek, there is regularly meetings after meetings. Maybe you've experienced this too. And after a long day of doing meetings chatting to people, doing work. One of a really unhelpful habit of mine is to doom scroll on Facebook. I wonder if you've done the same. If you've had, you're just down in mental capacity and your finger just keeps scrolling on this highlight reel of friends, family, and people you are randomly connected to. You see things on, the, on Facebook or Instagram, you see things like birthdays, you see things like children's being born, lots of advertising. A lot of suggestions, 
Suggestions on people that Facebook thinks I should know, but I don't. You get updates from groups that you're kind of mildly connected with. Food pictures. Yeah. Lots of food pictures. And stories about what everyone is doing. What makes it so difficult is that it is so easy to get a huge highlight reel of people's lives. Might just be me. But my reel recently has just been filled with family, with friends headed to Japan. And you just see these gorgeous shots, these beautiful sceneries that just uh, make you, at the end of a long meeting, think, wow. You can't help but have this small sense of jealousy, a small sense of envy. While I've been in front of a computer, in front of a concrete jungle, I wish I could be there. Can't help but wish that that was me. And this feeling gets worse when we think that actually we've worked so hard. We should achieve more. We should deserve that. And yet this other person seems to be getting all of that acknowledgement, all of that wealth, more of everything. And it gets worse as believers of the Lord Jesus. And when we see the world around us as prospering so great, and as we read this psalm, the question is being answered, what, what do we do with envy? Well, envy gets worse, doesn't it, when another person's rewarded when we think they shouldn't. I'm sure we've all felt this way at some point, but why is it that we feel this way? It's not a new problem. This is a problem that's been going on for a very long time, and it's the same problem that our writer of this uh, ancient Hebrew poem in Psalm 73, this guy called Asaph, it's something that he faces right now. And so let's turn to God's word. If you have Psalm 73 open, keep that with you. We'll work through that, and we work through what Asaph is wrestling with. And you can break the psalm almost into two halves. So you have the crisis from 1 to 16, and you have the cure uh, from 17 to the end. So let's have a look at the crisis that Asaph feels. So have a look with me with how he views God. You have this general statement in verse 1. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. You read that and you think, yep, that sounds, that sounds about right. It's like a proverbial statement. That's true. But here's the crisis in verse 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, his crisis is that God's goodness doesn't seem to go to the pure in heart. Well, it seems to go to the wicked. It seems to go to those who do not know him. It's the opposite of the people of verse 1. They're impure. They're those who think that they don't need God. And yet, they're prospering. They're flourishing. And in light of their success, you can understand why Asaph feels the way he does, can't you? Doubt starts to creep in, and we question, is God really good? Because if he is, how could the wicked be prospering? How could people who have no care for God be doing so well? Shouldn't it be the faithful that's rewarded? And he feels it. He's envying them. Notice that it's not just financially, 
But in fact, everything in the wicked's life seems to be going really, really well. Look at his complaint as he pours out these complaints in verse 4 and 5. He describes how these wicked, they live and die peacefully, living fat, abundant lives, healthily, carefree. And because of that, it starts with pride in verse 3, and it ends with pride in verse 6. In fact, they're so prosperous that in verse 7, their eyes are just swelling out with fatness. It's this picture of great overflow, great excess. That's how prosperous the wicked are. They have everything they need, and they lack nothing. Now, can you imagine going up to someone that has all that they have and saying to them, mate, you know what you need? You need God in your life. I can imagine verse 8 and 9 in their response, right? Why would I need God? I have everything I need. I've worked hard for all that I have. I don't need God. You see, their pride doesn't stop there. It continues to swell up. And in verse 11, they begin to question whether God is even there. They say that there's, there's nothing in the skies. There's no answers up there. If God... If he really did exist, well, he doesn't seem to know what we're doing. And when you see all the prosperity that's happening for the wicked, in all their pride, in all their arrogance, but not for yourself, it really hurts, doesn't it? That's kind of what we see today. It's not just Asaph who feels this. And for the most part, we live in Perth, WA. It, there's a decent amount of wealth, there's security, there's housing. People are generally able to go by. And my guess is most of them aren't Christians. Most of our friends and our family who are doing well for themselves, most of them don't believe that God is the one who has blessed them with all that they have. And maybe that might be you today. Not troubled by what God thinks because your hard work has paid off. And so in verse 12, they are always at ease, and they're increasing in riches. And just like Asaph, what we know about God being good, back in verse 1, often doesn't feel true in our lives. And you can see why his, Asaph's steps had nearly slipped. His faith, indeed our faith, in what we know to be true is being questioned. It doesn't seem right. And his questioning gets deeper have a look in verse 13, 14. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. The wicked live a life of blessing, but we don't. So isn't it just a waste of time? Isn't it all in vain? What good is God? See, it affected Asaph so much, it became dangerous. As one of the worship leaders in the temple back in those days, he was very influential. And he recognized the damage that this could cause. That's why he says in verse 15, If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. You see, if he had said what he had felt, if he had clicked send on on X or Twitter, if he had posted on the wall... (laughs) If he sent it, he would have betrayed God's children, those that were entrusted to him. And yet he doesn't want to lie. He doesn't want to cover up this truth. What he feels, he just can't unfeel. 
And so he's pushed into this really deep and burdensome reflection in verse 16. And just like Asaph, don't, aren't we pushed there too? Pushed to question, why don't we have what they have? Why is it that they are prospering and we are not? We look over at the wicked and we see how lush and how lavish their lives are without care and yet increasing in riches. And yet, he, where does Asaph find the cure? Where does he find his comfort? Well, verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. You see, he feels this way until he finds comfort in the sanctuary of God. He goes to God in the temple, and it is there that he's comforted. It is there that he gains an understanding of the full picture. He sees their end. And so here we see Asaph's cure, his remedy for envy. <clears throat> There's a three-part solution. So follow with me in verse 1. Uh, sorry, verse 18, part 1. We see the first part is to see the end, see the future of the wicked. Let me read verse 18. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. You see, just as Asaph thought in verse 2, he thought he was slipping. But what we see for the wicked is that they are fallen into ruin, destroyed in a moment. From the sanctuary of God, Asaph sees the true future of the godless who, though they seem to be prospering, their end is destruction. Know that there is an end. There is a judgment to come, and it is not far off. It's one of those things where you blink and you miss it. Because as Asaph says, yes, the wicked are prospering. Yes, they seem to have it all, but not for long. In a moment, all that they have, all their riches, all their health, all their prosperity, it's all will be gone in just a moment. And it could be through the world markets crashing. And we've already seen how COVID can quickly disrupt the markets. It could be theft. Or it could, and it will happen when we go to the grave. Just like Steve Jobs did with his 10 billion fortune. Because like dew on grass, it will go. Because without God, there is no solid ground to stand on. What we see is only the pure are blessed by God. And so without God, there is only judgment and destruction. So that's the first part of the cure to envy. Realize, see the future of the wicked. And so second part of the remedy is then to see the future of the pure. Verse 21 to 23. Because what, when we see the future that the wicked have, often we can feel just like Asaph does, when he realizes how we've acted, how we've treated God. Because often we think and we act as if God owes us. We act as if God should reward us for the efforts that we've put in, coming to church, going to Bible study, living a good life. I mean, isn't that why we feel envious when the wicked are prospering or living struggle-free? We feel envious because we feel like we've done more, we deserve more. And so God ought to reward us. 
because we go to church, shouldn't we be blessed? But as Asaph writes, he's been acting like a beast. How so? Well, because he couldn't see past his present situation. He was brutish. He was ignorant. As you think about a beast, I've never seen a beast or an animal be concerned about its future. I don't know if you have. I've never seen a dog prep for its meal in advance. If you have, chat to me. I'd love to know more. You know, my, my rabbit doesn't have a savings account in which he contributes regularly to. I know he, he eats what he has. And that's what Asaph does. And it's what we are like when we desire the prosperity that the wicked have without discerning their end. And you see, despite our brutish behavior, verse 23, despite the way we behaved, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. See, the way, despite the way we've treated our God, despite the way we've rejected him, refused to obey his command, despite our worldly obsessions and our cravings of the things of earth, despite our rejection of him as king, nevertheless, God still holds out his hand to us. And for Asaph, that experience of God holding out his hand would have been seen through the words that were preached by the Old Testament prophets reminding him of the salvation God is about to bring through temple worship, through sacrifices. God showed a way for Israel, the nation, to be holy and perfect before God. But for us, the way we experience God's hand is far more direct, far more personal, because we see it in the Lord Jesus. We see it by God giving his only son. By God giving us the only one who is pure in heart. The Lord Jesus Christ. See, despite us rejecting him, despite us deserving ruin for rebelling against him, for refusing to submit to him, instead God holds out his hand to save us and to give us good Yet the reason we envy is because we think we deserve good. We think that we are the pure. But we haven't. We aren't. We've rejected him. And the only one who is pure holds out his hand to us. And by faith, by faith in the one who is pure in heart, the one who took the penalty of our sin on the cross for us, Only in Jesus can we be pure. This is the future of the pure in heart, welcomed into God's hand. And the third part of the cure, finally, is to see what truly fulfills. You see, envy reveals to us what we think will complete us. You see, whatever you envy, that's what you idolize, isn't it? Envy reveals what you worship instead of God. Take, for example, you, if we envy wealth, we think that we deserve all of wealth's comforts, its joys, its pleasures, then that's our idol, isn't it? Because we think if we had that wealth, well, my life would be complete. 
If I had whatever it is, the thing that you envy, that reveals what we idolize. If I had that job, if I had that background, if I had that success, if I had that idea, whatever it is, we envy. That is the idol that is taking the place of God. And the problem is that these things just do not satisfy. They don't fulfill. No, no, no. our souls crave for something far greater, far deeper, far more fulfilling. We see a glimpse of this in verse 24. Asaph hinting at what God is offering him to Israel. It's more than it's more than comfort. It's more than support, but rather a promise of glory. Read with me in verse 24. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. And this future glory is far more than a vague abstract notion to just comfort in our old age, comfort in our boredom, like some sort of eternal super fund that we might hold. No, no. This truth is changes the way Asaph sees his whole life. Right then, right there, everything changes. Look at the way this, the psalm shifts from verse 24 onwards. 20, verse 24, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You see, there's no greater treasure than to be with God. And there is nothing that Asaph, and there's nothing that we need more than our relationship with God. Why? Verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, our bodies are decaying. Our flesh is weakening. Our hearts are failing, but God is eternal. When we grow old and our heart stops beating, when our body stops responding, and we're about to meet our maker, the things that captured so much of our passions, so much of our interests, so much of our joys, whether it's our job, our career, our money, our land, cars, possessions, experiences, what meaning do we get for them? Well, in light of eternity, well, it's done. Because in the end, what the things that we've saved for, the houses that we've kept, well, that will be destroyed. They'll broken down over time. Our possessions will click quickly fill up the verges, uh, verge-side collections. The cars that we've treasured will become scrap metal. Our experiences will be quickly forgotten as we lose our memories. And the lifestyle we live, it won't matter when we are moved into a nursing home and all we can rely on is a nappy to keep it in. You see, it's, it's at that point. It's at that point where we realize what is truly valuable. And then we may say, along with Asaph, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, those things are good. Those things are useful. But they cannot be our strength and our portion forever. They will fail us. But God will not. God is eternal. 
He is the one who made all things. He is the creator of all things. And he is the one who will satisfy our soul's longings. And so Asaph puts up two options in verse 27 and 28. The first option is to continue to live for the now. Living enviously of the world and its possessions, its desires. Longing for the things of those around us. Living in pride and in arrogance while ignoring God and his son Jesus. But just know, just know this, that God will not let us rebel forever. There is a just punishment for rebellion. And that's ruin and judgment. That's why he says in verse 27, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. And this isn't a trivial question to ask at all. This is a real choice that we need to consider and weigh up. There is real judgment to come for those who are far from God, for those who are without Christ. And perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you are far from God, far from knowing the love of God in Jesus. Well, if that's you, would, I, would you consider what God is saying? Would you consider what Jesus has done? Would you consider talking to those around you, learning more about what he's done? Because the only other option is in verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. You see, through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, we can turn to our Lord and our God because by faith in what Jesus has done, he is our refuge. He has defeated death. And now God is bringing us into an eternal comfort, an eternal life when we see the truth that is in Jesus. And like Asaph, our whole life changes. Why did, why did Asaph seek refuge? Well, so that he may tell all of God's works. Having God as his refuge means he's taking shelter within God. He's not slipping. He's not on slippery places. He's on the firm foundation on the cross of Christ. And he is the guarantee of our heavenly inheritance that we wait for. So let me recap. If you're feeling the burden, if you're feeling the weight of envy of the wicked, let me remind you of the future of the wicked. Before a holy and righteous God, they will face destruction. Let me remind you of the future of those who put their faith in the one who is pure. An eternal life with God. And so, let us look to what truly fulfills. Living for God is eternally more valuable than anything else. Because nothing else is eternal. So let's cast aside our idols. Let's reflect on what it is that captures our hearts and minds. Cast our envy aside and instead cast our eyes to the God who is our strength of our heart and our portion forever. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that in this psalm we hear all about Asaph's experience and Lord, how we see in light of eternity, we see how you've given us everything. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his death that 
makes us, that washes us clean. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see beyond what we have in this world and see the great future that we will have with you for all of eternity. Please help us to come to you, to come to your word in humble submission to you, to live with eternity in mind, to continue to trust in you and not the things of this world. Help us to not envy the wicked, but to love you and to treasure you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.